books and reading at their very best are a social experience. Whether it be a book club, a poetry slam, or the production of a play, words are meant to be shared. I'm your host, Amy. And I'm your host, Carrie. We've been in a book club together for over a decade and enjoy talking about what we're reading, but in so many ways, we are opposites. Carrie is a cat lover, but I'm a dog nut. Amy loves a good party, while I prefer to wear my fuzzy socks while introverting on the couch. But books are the tie that binds. Each week, we have fun conversations with interesting people about how books and reading influence their lives. We will find out what books are on their nightstands and ask them about five things that make them who they are. We invite you to learn more about the many perks of being a book lover. Listeners, if you like our show, subscribe and never miss an episode. And we appreciate feedback. Rate and review our show on Apple Podcasts or Facebook and we will do a little happy dance. It's the beginning of March, a time for signs of spring, shamrocks, and St. Patrick's Day when we all feel a little bit Irish. Our guest today, Neve Lutz, is a local music teacher, vocalist, mother of two, and avid reader who grew up near Kilkenny, Ireland. She gives us a glimpse of a childhood in Ireland and a whole new world of Irish authors to add to our TBR. Neve talks to us about some of the Irish folktales she learned in school, including the one for which she's named, why she hates the word chiclet, and what you absolutely shouldn't ask for on St. Patrick's Day if you're lucky enough to spend it in Ireland. Amy and I are getting a bit of a jump start on St. Patrick's Day by recording in February with Neve Lutz, who is a local music teacher and a member of our book club and our favorite Irish person. So, Neve, we're so glad you're here. Thank you for coming over and recording with us. No problem. I'm so excited to be here. Like, big grin on my face and everything. I'm excited. Thank you for inviting me. I could just listen to Neve talk about anything really for 55 minutes just anything you want Neve. go ahead start talking great (laughs) so tell us about how you came to louisville kentucky and about yourself okay well i'm from durrow county leash which is a very small little village in right in the middle of ireland and been working in dublin teaching and my friend and i decided we were going to go travel the world a lot of friends uh, went during college time. They took a J-1 visa and I didn't have the funds to do it then. So I decided, OK, I have a couple of years teaching under my belt. Got a bit of money. I had no money. And, uh, I decided, OK, we'll go. And we were thinking Australia. And then the chaplain at the school I was teaching had friends working at the Archdiocese here in Louisville. And he said, cut me in touch with those. And I had an interview over the phone on my little Nokia phone <laughs> in my tiny, tiny bedsit with my two best friends. I'm talking to a principal here in Louisville and they liked me, I guess. They didn't think I was going to be scary. So they <laughs> offered me a position. So I came with my friend. Uh, she went to another school and I went to my school, went to St. Gabriel. I've been there since August 2000, took about three years out in the middle, about 2013. And then we came back to Louisville and I got my job back. And so I'm back at Gabriel still. So I love my job. So Neve and I go back even further than book club. Yes. Actually, because Neve married the friend that I've had longest in my life, married her brother. So I've known Neve for even longer, I think, than I've known you, Amy, which is... Wow. Yeah. We're curious, and part of the reason we wanted to have you on is because we like to learn about what other people read, being from the United States. Mm-hmm. Originally, we were brought up with certain, I guess, American 
stories like tall tales with John Henry and John Bunyan and then grim fairy tales. So when you were growing up, what types of literature did you read? So most children would have ladybird books, which would have like the same grim tales. So Cinderella, Jack and the Beanstalk. So I remember those little books. So they'd be kind of the equivalent of the the gold book. Mm-hmm. Golden book? Little yeah, golden little book. gold, yeah. kind of like that. So illustrated. So we had like a ton of those in our house growing up. The stories, the fables. Oh, I had a book of fables too. But the Irish stories we'd have done in school. So like Tiernanog, the land of youth, uh, and the children of Lair and all of those type of stories we were told as kids in school. So Tiernanog is the story where my name comes from, where oh. Neve comes from. And Neve is kind of like a mythical creature who comes out of the water on a big white horse. And she spies the very dashing Oshin, who is a soldier with the Anfina, who are like these uh, massive soldiers who protect Ireland. So she uh, and Oshin fall in love and she takes him back to Tiernanog, the land of youth. And they live a very idyllic, happy life together. And it's all very lovely. And then he wakes up one morning and he says, I miss home. I miss Ireland. I want to go back and see it. And she says, you realise you've been here about 300 years and he what and she goes yeah she said time passes very slowly nobody's going to grow old everybody stays alive she gives in and she lets him take her horse back to Ireland and she says to him if you get down off the horse you will age and then we will never see each other again so Oshin says I promise I won't get down off the horse First thing he does is get off the horse. Oh, he doesn't. He's very good. <laughs> Legend has it that it goes back to like the castles that he would have protected as a young soldier. But he sees they're all in ruin and he finds the gravestones of his family and his father. And then he's on his way back and he meets these guys. And this is the funny part. And they're moving this rock. I think they're building roads or something. I don't know. And they spy this big guy on a horse and get down off your horse. Help us move this rock. And he's going, I can't. And like you can imagine, like, you know, I have to go home and see the wife. You know what I mean? (laughs) So he said, no, I can't get down. And and they're ah, come on, you're a big guy, you know, floating the ego or whatever. And so trying to get him off. So eventually, you know, he thinks he's... I'll get down off that. Sure, won't take long. I'll just move this rock, and of course. So, is that a folk tale? Is it more of like a mythology? Yeah. yeah. Okay. And then, as I've grown older and I've read stuff, a lot of it would probably have come from Greek mythology that would have travelled across to Europe and then seeped its way into the Irish culture. And just like all stories, people can't explain geography or why rocks are where they are or why lakes are where they are so they make up stories this is here because of this so like the giant's causeway which is in the north it's like this <laughs> hexagon a volcano erupted under the water and brought up this rock so it made this beautiful hexagon shake it looks like a, a bridge that it will go all the way to scotland so how do they explain this well they described two giants on either side who got into who were going to have a battle together and so they built this bridge to go to war so that's how they explain you know what I mean so in college mm-hmm. I went on a 10-week trip to England and Wales and Ireland mm-hmm. and we were reading Yates and so I remember Cahoolan and you had mentioned yeah. Cahoolan so who is Cahoolan or Cucullan Cucullan uh, that's okay uh, <laughs> it's all good Cucullan so his name originally was Satanta a young guy who wanted to be uh, a soldier in the Red Branch which is like part of Onfiana and but anyway his uncle was 
in charge and he kept like going, no, no, you're not old enough, you're not old enough. And anyway, he's this great athlete, Satanta, and so people are like going, well, you should consider him. And so he says, okay, come on up. He comes to this castle and there's this huge dog protecting the castle and he's going to attack Satanta. So Satanta plays the Irish game hurling, which is kind of like hockey field hockey so he rolls up his slither which is the ball up onto his stick his hurl and he hits it hard and he knocks out the dog he kills the dog the king inside the castle is like furious this is my dog and Satanta feels terribly guilty and he says I'll be your dog I'll be your coo and that's the Irish for dog so Cúchulainn is where that comes from and then eventually then he becomes a member of the Red Branch and Yay, great soldier, all that good stuff. But now, in today's world, there is a theme park in Ireland <laughs> based on on a bag of potato crisps, which are like <laughs> potato chips here, right? Lay's chip, kind of the equivalent. Well, Tato in Ireland, like, is huge. And everybody who moves away from Ireland, all they want is their bag of Tato, like their bag of cheese and onion Tato. And so they made this farmer <laughs> trying to be innovative and trying to make money. And so he decided he was going to open a theme park and he was going to call it Tato Park. So Tato invested money, I guess. So the big, massive roller coaster is called the Cúchulainn. <laughs> and I took my girls there and, oh, my gosh. A wooden roller coaster is not meant for anybody over 40. <laughs> I was beaten and battered on it, like, but it was so much fun. So, yeah, we're pulling up to the park and I go, that's it, girls. And they're going, oh, yeah. And I'm going, oh, God. I know. <laughs> Where is it? It's in County Meath. It's just outside of Dublin. Like we would have had carnivals growing up in the summer where you would have a trap like the carnies here travel around, you know, the different towns and parishes during the summer and bring in entertainment to the small towns and villages. We grew up with a carnival in Duro, where I'm from, and it was hugely popular. It was always uh, around the last weekend of July into the first weekend of August, which would be in the bank holiday. So they would have had big bands come and music and people would be dancing and stuff like that. So now we have an actual theme park. So I'm curious, when you were a child, how much did you read? You said that you had the picture books Mm -hmm. with the grim fairy tales, but on your own, in terms of what you were interested in reading, was it primarily Irish authors or or was there an influx of European? Yeah, it would have been a lot of British, Eden Blyton, big. This is cute. My neighbor, Sinead, her mom, Rita Casey, was our librarian. And we would go with her on Wednesdays in the afternoon to open the library. So we would take home stacks of books with us. So I read so much Enid Blyton, like The Famous Five, The Secret Seven. Is it The Bobsley Twins, Mallory Towers? I loved Mallory Towers. It was about a girl's boarding school. And, you know, about the girl who goes to boarding school and she's all mad and she breaks all the rules. But by the end of it, like she's top student. and You know what I mean? Like all of that stuff. I liked all of those types of stories. So those were great stories. But Eden Blyton had this book called The Faraway Tree. And I loved it. Like it was a picture book. And the idea was up, up into the tree was another world. Mm. Like it was so magical and there was goblins. and But I can picture the book in my mind's eye. And it was... It was lovely. And I would read that late into the night. And then when I got older, I read The Little Princess, which I loved that book. I guess we read a lot of, well, I did anyway, a lot of English authors. But I would have had friends who would have read The, the Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. Mm-hmm. I did not. 
I thought that was like, oh, it's such a big book, I wouldn't be able to read that. <laughs> you know, but after reading The Little Princess, I thought, well, maybe I could give it a go. And then I read a book about, oh, I love this book, it was uh, New Patches for Old, which probably is out of print, and I don't remember the author. I need to look that up, but it was about a girl from England whose family immigrated to Australia. And I remember at the beginning of the book, she's at home polishing the silver with her grandmother. And she knew that this was going to be the last time she would be doing this with her grandma. And it broke my heart. And then she has to grow up, go through her teenage years in Australia, being a foreigner, being English and, you know, trying to fit in. And I like that story, too. And I, I had a doll with a head, you know, you'd squeeze it and the light would come up on the doll. <laughs> so I'd be under the covers, squeeze my doll, reading the book under the bed covers at night time. So did, did you all read as a family or do you have any other like reading memories from when you were young that kind of stand out for you? Not as a child. I remember I read Pride and Prejudice when I was 14 and I didn't have to. I thought I was going to really impress my English teacher by doing this and she went, that's great. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, good. But yeah, I remember reading that and that was probably the first real literary book that I read, the Jane Austen, and that was it. Then I was hooked. I love Jane Austen. My favorite part, of course, is the Mr. Darcy letter to uh, Elizabeth Bennet. Like, I was like, oh, my God, that's so good. I, I still remember how ardently I love and admire you. That, yeah, that line from him. You can't not like Mr. Darcy. No, I love Mr. Darcy. He's like, yeah, he's ruined every man for us, really. <laughs> you have to go to the Jane Austen Festival. I know. I really do need to do that. Persuasion is my favorite. I did like Persuasion. That was their book of choice a couple of years ago because every year they pick a book okay. that they sort of focus on. And two years ago, it was Persuasion. Did you learn Gaelic as a child yes. or did you speak it at home? Yeah. Oh, well, not at home now. So where we live, like I know it's the Midlands, but we're very much to the east. And so like that's very English because that's would have been populated by English families back during the plantation times. So let's say my sister lives in Kerry, which is southwest. Not that it wasn't touched by English rule, it was. They had more freedom to speak their own language, whereas it kind of not eradicated, but kind of was in our parts of the country. But yes, in school, you learn it from the get-go and you learn it all the way through you leave high school, which is secondary school in Ireland. You study it. The education system is completely different. Like primary school, elementary school, kind of, you know, like you have your subjects, You the same thing, English, Irish, math. And then when you get to secondary school, it's divided into two cycles. So you have a junior cycle or back in the day because I'm 45 now. So it was the intercert, which was a three-year cycle. So you would have a curriculum for three years and after the three years, you would do major tests, exams. And the results of those exams would then determine what you were going to do in the next cycle, which was a two year cycle for the leaving cert. And the result of those exams determined what courses you were going to take in college. Mm. And at the time, I was half decent at Irish, but it's like a muscle. If you don't practice, if you're not using it, you don't remember it. So... I am embarrassed to say that I have lost a lot of my Irish. Now, there are things that I will never forget, like, you know, a Catholic Rowan in Ireland, you, you speak your prayers in Irish, right? So I remember my prayers. I can ask the teacher, can I go to the toilet? <laughs> <laughs> that's that's one of the most important ones right there. <laughs> you know, like stuff like that. Good morning. Like those things you're never going to forget. But like, you know, I used to be able to write essays in Irish. So Irish and Gaelic, you're calling the same thing? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So in Ireland, they call it Irish, not Gaelic? 
Well, they call it both or Gaelga as like in how are you doing in Irish? How are you doing in English? Maths. We don't say math. We say maths. How's your maths doing? <laughs> Those are the three main subjects that you had to do. You could get a buy if your parents moved to England back in the 70s or the 80s and you were brought back to Ireland because you were born in England. You didn't have to do Irish for your leaving cert. So did you read books in Irish? Yeah. So the biggest book that we read that every Irish person my age will remember is Peg Sayers. And she is... That's the author? Yeah, it's her biography. And uh, it's so funny. She's just this little old Irish woman who just told her tale of woe and somebody wrote it down and and then as students we had to study it and then answer questions on the story. She grew up an indentured servant and then her best friend went to America and said I'll send the money back and you'll come over and then her friend got injured and couldn't make enough money for her to come back and everybody like we said I can't believe caught Jim couldn't send her home the money and we had to read this book because of it. (laughs) So it was the big like cry at home. But now I'm glad that we did, you know, as you do, you look back and you think, oh, glad I did that, I think. But she talks about life on the Blasket Islands, which are the islands off the coast of Ireland, about how rough it was. You know, her husband was a fisherman. Like, that's not easy being out there. He wouldn't probably have had a motor on his boat, you know, things like that. How she lost kids and tale of woe it's just a hard life a hard life yeah Yeah. i I didn't realize this until i started doing the a little bit of research Mm -hmm. but ireland is about the same size as the state of indiana right so is there a real sense of irish pride about irish authors yeah who are some of the the Uh, authors that you feel like the country really well everybody knows james choice right ulysses Anybody like Sam Beckett, people who've won like Nobel Prizes, Yeats, those would be the big people. John B. Keane as a playwright, John Millington Singh wrote Playboy of the Western World. We love to celebrate people who do well. We love to knock them down to a peg or two because we don't want to get them above their station. We're terrible (laughs) about that. We're awful. Is it kind of like we can talk about them, but if you talk about them, then we're going to beat you up? Basically, Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. Yeah, we are very proud of our Irish authors. We love to see them do well. Like um, there's a Cecilia Hearn. She has written a, a good few books uh, and, and they've been made into TV shows and movies like the she wrote P.S. I Love You, which was oh, yeah. a big movie with Gerard Butler. Lovely Hilary Swank, she was in it. And then Christina Applegate was in a short lived sitcom called Samantha Who, which I thought was hysterical. And I thought it could have been given more time, but it wasn't. So it was pulled. Her stuff is very good. And then, of course, Maeve Binchy. You go into any second and like it's wall to wall Maeve Binchy. Everybody loves Maeve Binchy. I loved Maeve Binchy. Cried when she died. Like, it's, you know. So she was as popular in Ireland oh, as yes. her books were here. Yes. She's brilliant. Like, and people say, oh, it's sentimental. And I was going, I don't care. I like that. <laughs> you know, I just, she's lovely. Um, my favorite author is Marion Keys. People would say, oh, it's chiclet. I hate that word. But she writes about women and what they're going through. But she does it with a sense of humor. But she writes about real issues uh, that, that women are experiencing. But I, I love her books. My, my favorite one is Rachel's Holiday. It's so good about addiction and it's because Marion Keyes is an addict she's an alcoholic and she's actually just celebrated 26 years of sobriety so when she writes I know that 
it's authentic, mm. you yeah. know. So I, I like. Her. I didn't realize she's she's Irish. Oh yeah. I didn't. Realize. So what do you hate about the term chiclet? It sounds like you're dumb for reading it. That you're not smart. I think if you're reading anything, you're reading, regardless of what it is. And again, I like I don't like people who look down on people who read highbrow stuff. I, I like I'm not a book snob. I, I like to read a wide variety. I love graphic novels. Like people who say, oh, you're reading a graphic. That's not really reading. And I go, oh, but it is. There's so much more to it because the art as well as the words yeah, and you go back to it over and over again. I love it. I, lo- I do. I, lo- I love all those books. Now, I haven't done the audio book. I want to do that. I, but that's because I listen to podcasts all the time. So <laughs> I'm, and I love my podcasts. It is hard to make time for both sometimes. It is. You've mentioned Marion Keyes, mm-hmm. Mae Binchy. Are there Irish writers mm-hmm. that, I mean, again, I didn't know even some well-known Irish writers right. who are Irish, but are there any up and coming that maybe people haven't heard, heard of? Uh, Patricia Gibney. She is a, like a crime writer. My mom put me on to her. Yeah, she was very good. And then my, my really good friend, Sinead Campion. I love you. Or Sinead Mulhall, because she's married now. She was awesome because I sent out an SOS and I said, OK, help me. Who, who, who are we reading at home? Who's reading at home? So she sent me a list of names that she liked. Uh, she read a book by an author called Joe Spain, who I don't know anything about, called The Confession. And she said that was really good. So uh, that's going to be on my to-be-read list for sure. And then she said, oh, she read a book called 72 Derry Lane by Carmel Harrington. And she said that was a good read. And I said, OK, I don't know these people, you know, because we're in book club. And so we read what we read in our book club. And my days are so busy. It's hard to read anything outside of it. So one of my favorite books is Angela's Ashes. So I love that book. It's so, so sad. But one of the things I loved about it was the humor that he brought to Mm -hmm. it. But I'm wondering what people in Ireland thought about that book. Well, we all read it. Well, in some ways, it doesn't paint a very flattering picture. I think it was real. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, uh, and again, going back to me, Vinci, sometimes her stories are a little bit more idyllic. Now, she does paint real things in her stories but it's it's more nice mm-hmm. and he was just being real like yeah. this is what it was like and then other people would have said oh he over dramatized it but he wrote this book a Christmas book called Angela and the Baby Jesus really oh my gosh it's beautiful the oh, art I didn't is, know he wrote that. it's a picture book oh, isn't yeah. it yeah. and we're talking about Frank McCourt, McCourt yeah mm-hmm. Frank McCourt and it is gorgeous they actually made it into a little netflix movie really at christmas time and i tell the story to my kids at school and i read it and um it is so it is it's heart rendering it's so good i love it is it a picture book too okay yeah yeah the pictures are gorgeous really lovely and like things like turns of phrases that i don't hear anymore like you know put on the kettle and we'll have a cup of tea or we'll have tea after the supper you know like things that when I read them, I go, oh, it's like, take me home. Did you ever read Angela's Ashes? I did, but it's been so long that I don't I love that I don't book. remember. And some people said, how could you love it? Because it was so, so sad. But I felt like his sense of humor totally made it 
palatable to read. Like his childhood was so rough. Oh yeah, Darcy. And it, it would have been dirty. so. It would have been hard to maybe read it outright. But his humor was so wonderful. And actually, that's one thing that was when I visited Ireland that I loved about it was the humor yeah. of the people. Most of the writers that I like are have a humor to them, like Roddy Doyle, who wrote The Commitments, right? Around right. the 90s, and everybody was into that movie, and it was so much fun. Well, he wrote a trilogy, so he has The Snapper after that, and then he had The Van. And those three books are just hysterical. I'll never forget my granny calling me on the phone and said, I just read the snapper. Can you believe that she called your man's thing a flute? And I'm like, oh my God, granny. And I'm like, oh my God. It's my granny. I love her. Um, she was a great reader. My granny loved Agatha Christie. She was, oh yeah, yeah. She like there were piles of books in her, her house. She was we a mystery kids. reader. Yes, loved mysteries. And my mom now, my dad jokes, you know, like how are you going to kill me? Like based on all the <laughs> yeah, books. Yeah. Yeah, she, <laughs> well, I have to ask this mm-hmm. because part of this trip that I went on, yeah. we had to read a lot of James Joyce, oh. and some of it was okay. Mm-hmm. But Ulysses, I mean, I still have some level of you know leftover PTSD <laughs> a little bit of PTSD from having to stay up all night that was what we we stayed in this tiny little cottage yeah I don't even remember where we were in Ireland but we stayed up and read Ulysses out loud oh my gosh yeah so did you have to read that when you were in school was well that sort for of the like junior cycle reading? we read an excerpt from it and I could not tell you what I read yeah but I just happened upon a podcast uh, for Irish uh, writers and the podcast is uh, City Books with Martina Devlin and she talks to Irish people about their reading lives and in it they discussed uh, Ulysses and James Joyce and it was really good. Oh, I want to check out that. Yeah, it's good. Podcast. Very good. You said they just, how many episodes It's are once out? a month. Now she's only released one. So I just have listened to that first one, but oh, it was good. It really made me think about, okay, maybe I should just open Ulysses and, and give it a go. Don't be a sissy about it, Neve. Read the book. So I turned to a page and I read it. And there's so much street names. And I think it's the turn of phrases. And, and he speaks like the people. If that's not something that you're used to on your ear, that is hard to, to follow. Yeah. I do remember, though, I will say that given all the headache that trying to read Ulysses was... The ending of it made a big impact on me. Right. Because of Molly's voice. And so even though there was probably a sizable chunk that I just went, I don't know what's going on and I'm not even going to deal, the ending, I felt like that I did get something valuable from it. Right, right, right. So, yeah. But I could understand Yates much better. He He was a lot more approachable than James Joyce. I think with Ulysses, they have Bloomsday in Ireland where people dress up in the costume of the day of Ulysses and they go around and they go to all the different place landmarks that are mentioned in it. Yeah, it's huge. And people from all over the world come and participate in it. Yeah. So if that was something that you were going to, you know, okay, I'm going to make my goal to read this because so I want to participate in Bloomsday. Like that would be an awesome thing to do, I think. So... Every March, I try to read at least one Irish author just because I'm, I don't know, hokey like that, I guess. <laughs> You're a seasonal reader. <laughs> I'm a seasonal reader. So last year, I read a ton of French 
mystery. Okay, I have not read her, but I've heard about her, yeah. Okay, so you should definitely try one of hers. She wrote the Dublin mystery, murder mystery? Yes, she did, the yeah. Dublin murder mysteries. They're in the woods. In, in the, the woods. woods. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think, did they make it into a TV? Yes, they did. And there's several books in the series, but apparently you don't have to start with the, the first one. I should point out that she was actually born in Vermont. Yeah, she's oh, not really? actually Irish. Yeah. She's yeah. not? No. Yeah. Yeah, she was born in Vermont. Well, then we'll just cut this whole part. <laughs> I, I, no, but I think it's interesting. But she, she, lived, she's, she has lived in, in Ireland for a long time. So it would be like me saying that I was uh, a Kentucky author when I'm not. Oh, okay. You know, right. yeah, okay. So. The other one is Jennifer Johnson, I believe her name is. And she wrote a book that I read last year. Um, about World War One, How Many Miles to Babylon. And it's about two boyhood friends from a small Irish town, but one of them is from a family uh, of means, and the other one is more of a working-class family. And both sets of parents don't really want them to be friends because the class difference mm-hmm. is too great. Right. Well, they both volunteer to go to war in World War One. And what was interesting is because of the class difference that even spilled over to their assignments in the war. Mm-hmm. So the boy of means was already just became an officer. Yeah. yeah, he got a rank. And the boy who was from a farming family, mm-hmm. he was just a, a private. And so they were in the same regiment. The ending is very sad, but it was a very interesting and touching and it's not a very long book and i would recommend that one she's 90 she's written a lot of books yeah. jennifer johnston put that one on the list <laughs> <laughs> well we are going to pause for a minute and when we come back we're going to talk with neve about what we're all reading We are back, and I'm here with Neve and with Carrie. And Carrie, what are you reading? So I just finished a book that blew my mind. Let me say first, I think I have decided, and maybe, Amy, we need to do a whole podcast about this whole idea that I have in my head. But people read for different reasons. And some people read for pure entertainment. They just want to escape and just be entertained. It has occurred to me over the course of doing this podcast, that while I do read in part for escape and entertainment, I also read for self-actualization, I think, which is part of the reason why I can't put a book down. I have to finish it. And I sometimes task myself with reading books that are like a headache and a pain in the butt. But I just finished this book. It's called Salvage the Bones, and it's by Jesmyn Ward. Now, you may recognize her name because her latest book is called Sing, Unburied, Sing. And I think one of our past guests actually mentioned that book. But Salvage the Bones actually won the 2011 National Book Award. And it popped up as an audiobook. So I listened to it, and it was absolutely amazing. One of my favorite contemporary books is All the Light We Cannot See by Anthony Doerr. Mm-hmm. And I would put this book right up there with that. This story, Salvage the Bones, it takes place in Mississippi. And it's about a family. There are four children and a father. The mother died 
after giving birth to her last child. And they are extremely poor. They're a black family just kind of trying to make it in the world. And the narrator is the only girl. Her name is Esh. And we find out pretty early on that she's pregnant. And the book actually begins with the birth of puppies. Esh's brother, Skeeta, has a pit bull named China. And China is a very fundamental character in this book. And what Jesmyn Ward does with great success, I think, is she weaves comparisons between China, the dog, Esh, the female character, and then you've got this whole mythological component with Medea. And if you are the type of person who, like me, really loves meaty, symbolic depth and complexity to a novel, I think you'll like this. What I will say is, is it an easy read? In one regard, yes. I mean, it's not hard to understand. The language is not complicated. So in that respect, it's an easy read. It is a very difficult read because you put yourself into the shoes of these characters and you keep thinking, okay, things are going to get better. And then the next terrible thing happens. And every step they try to make to solve a problem or to get ahead, it doesn't end well. And so in that respect, it is... It's a heartbreaking... It is. It's a heartbreaking book, but at the same time, it ends and you feel uplifted. After reading it, I was like, I see why this won the National Book Award, because it is so good. Again, if you like that kind of book, if you're just looking for something to escape from real life and all the drudgery of real life, do not read this book. (laughs) But if you want a lot of substance and complexity and depth and thought-provoking fiction, then this is definitely a good book. And I should say the woman who read it on audiobook, I think it's Sharice Booth is the narrator, and she was a fantastic narrator. So I highly, highly recommend it. I don't mind books like that if it leaves me thinking about it for a long time after. It has. I mean, it's so good that... I am finding myself recommending it. How could I use this? Now, there is some language. This would not be a book that necessarily, it depends on the school, depends on the teacher, depends on the student. There's some maybe adult-ish situations. And again, I just told you not too long ago that I read a book called Badass to my 10, 12-year-old son. So, you know, I'm probably not the best judge of what other people should read, but... I I just feel like this is a book that students could really have a lot to grapple with. There you go. I have it on my shelf downstairs. Cool. Well, get to to it. Hop to. Hop to. (laughs) All right. Well, Neve, what have you been reading? At the moment, I'm reading Star of the Sea by Joseph O'Connor. So I tasked myself with going out and finding Irish books before I came. Um, so I've read a few. I've read, oh my God, what a complete Ashling by Sarah Breen and Emer McLeisett, which was very funny about the uh, an Irish girl. But an Ashling is like your, you know, she's a good girl. She does all the right things, you know, that type of a character. But that was very good read for 20-somethings growing up in Ireland. They would really get into it. What was wrong. the name of it it's again? Called, oh my God, what a complete Ashling. 
Ashling, I mean, because I know that's a girl's that, name. That's a yeah. girl's name, but is that also? I mean, it kind of seems like an archetype. It almost. has become oh. that way. And these two girls started it out on Facebook, and they would drop these things like, "This is what an Ashling would do," you know. <laughs> so it's sort of like the American version of Karen. Do you know what a Karen yeah, is? Yeah, you know what a Karen is. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. That's hilarious. But for twenty somethings, yeah, in Ireland, in Ireland, yes, she's done the right thing you know she's with the guy she's waiting for the ring and she's not putting him under any pressure but just every time she, a friend gets engaged she's like what the you know <laughs> so like there's that it goes through her life and and that was one of the books I read before this and then I read a children's book called Under the Hawthorn Tree by Marita Conlon McKenna that was a sad book that's kind of it reminded me of the book that you were talking about uh, about famine in Ireland and about these children who are trying to make their way to find their mom's aunts who have a better situation than the situation that they're in and how they're traveling through Ireland and meeting incredible and horrible things happening around them, people dying on the roads. But this is a book that they read in school at home and I'm going like... Was it during the potato famine? Yeah, or potato famine, famine. yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah so and that's like a, a chapter book yeah okay. yeah under, under the, the Hawthorne, Hawthorne tree. tree and it was good it's a lovely story but it's very sad though and there's hope but then it ends you know what I mean <laughs> like you were like okay so now what happens <laughs> <laughs> but um, I'm reading Joseph O'Connor Star of the Sea and it's also about the famine it's about a, a ship that's traveling to America from Ireland carrying passengers and it's the story of those passengers like people who are in first class people who are in steerage the captain from a lot of the chapters starts out with the captain's log so it reminds me of Star Trek sometimes <laughs> when I see that. Um, you know where they are on the Atlantic Ocean you know uh, line, lines of longitude and latitude and all that stuff it talks about the different lives of these people and where they've come from their backstory and wh- what's happening on the boat and what they're hoping to anticipate when they get to America it's, it's sad too because they're talking about what they've left behind and what's happening in Ireland at that time so horrific what happened during the potato famine so but probably a very common story huge would, yeah. because so many people immigrated from yes. from ireland to the united states there's the mass exodus yeah right and it talks about this in the book a lot of people did not even make it mm. yeah they were called coffin ships oh because people died on the way yeah like, so they barely got the money to get on the boat and then they just couldn't survive the trip because it was weeks it took weeks for them to travel across the Atlantic and some people would get so violently ill ill. yes well I imagine it was a famine so they were already in some respects they weren't at their healthiest because of the the famine so under normal circumstances they might have been able to make that trip but because their bodies probably got sick easier exactly yeah Yeah. it kind of reminds me there's a line you know from um, a Christmas Carol and Scrooge talks about put them in the workhouse and if they die so what there's kind of that attitude as well between the the people who have and the people who don't like the people who have you're nearly blaming the poor for it they were poor what could they do this was the food that they lived on so but Joseph O'Connor is Sinead O'Connor's brother really he is a great author and the books that he has written that I read years ago The Irish Man Abroad (laughs) 
which is very funny slice of life at a time in Ireland where um, Irish guys are going to America for the Soccer World Cup. And he wrote a book about the guys going and, you know, how they got on in America during the World Cup and stuff. And it was hysterical. He's written about the Irish man at home, of course, as well. And as I'm reading this book, it's it's very different. There's not the same... Is it fiction or yeah. is it? Well, those two books weren't necessarily fiction, but this is fiction. Yeah. Okay. But there's things based in reality, like there are letters in it, like from America to home and from home to America, like send us money, we're in desperate need. Or th- they talk about the life that they are living now and how wonderful it is. And you wouldn't recognize such and such because he looks so much healthier now. Mm. You know, they've purpose, they've life. It, it's a good read. I'm like nearly halfway through, so. So you're in our book club, so yeah. you read, you know, the books that are chosen each month. But mm-hmm. left to your druthers, do you often read Irish books or do you read a wide variety of things? Um, I wish I could read more, but I find that I just read what we're reading for book club. So I have, I think, three books on the go at the minute, which is like crazy because I'm reading our book for book club and I'm reading this and I'm also reading short stories by Cecilia Hearn called Roar which is very good and they're very short, like literally short stories, but they're about women in in their lives. And as you're reading the stories, you're going, oh, I recognize that person. I know who she's talking about. I I know people who who do things like that woman does. And like, it's very insightful. But she writes kind of like in a magical, mystical way, like the woman on the shelf. That is really how women end up on the shelf and they're not living in their lives properly. You know, they're they're outside their lives looking in type thing. And I thought, this is an interesting read. That one sounds good. It does yeah. sound good. And there's like 30 stories in there. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, Amy, what have you been reading? I am in the middle of an audio book right now. It's a book of essays by the author Rick Bragg, and it's called My Southern Journey, True Stories from the Heart of the South. So I don't know if you've heard of Rick Bragg. I think we read one of his books a for long book club. time ago. Yeah. All over but the shout. Yes. So he's a former journalist. He's worked for newspapers all over the country, the LA Times, but most notably the New York Times. And he won a Pulitzer Prize for his feature writing in 1996 for coverage of all kinds of stories, but the Oklahoma City bombing, the Elian Gonzalez story in Miami about the young Cuban boy who came over and his dad was trying to get him back to Cuba. I don't know if anybody remembers that story from the 1990s. It was a big story at the time. So anyway, he is a well-known journalist, but he wrote a series of memoirs, the most notable being All Over But the Shouting, which is the account of his childhood growing up in Alabama with an alcoholic abusive father and his mother's perseverance to raise her three boys in a loving home despite their poverty and other things that might have kept them down so to speak. This one is different. Um, This is a collection of essays that he has written over the years from different publications Southern Living, Garden and Gun, Smithsonian, Bon Appetit, and GQ. One reviewer called it a love song to the South and I think that that is a fairly good description of this book. First of all, he narrates this book himself. And he has such an amazing voice. He's got this low southern drawl. And I just love listening to him read his own work. The essays are about different aspects of living in the South or being a Southerner. A lot of it is based on nostalgia of his childhood about the way things used to be, which is sometimes endearing. And sometimes it's frustrating because not everything is always 
good in the past. I'm only about halfway through, and a lot of the essays that I've listened to so far are about food. He's a connoisseur of Southern cooking, whether it be his mama's cooking, which he swears is the best cooking in the world, (laughs) or the food of New Orleans, or learning how to love raw oysters. And he did win a James Beard Award for his food writing. And I thought that this quote was good. He says in the book that a person isn't just eating a place's food, you're also consuming their culture, which, yeah, which I thought was really good because that's really true. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think if you want to learn about a, a culture, eating their food is one of the best ways to do it. It's divided into five sections, home, place, table, craft, and spirit. His writing is just really, really beautiful. Um, It's rich with descriptive language. It's filled with wonderful images that evoke a yearning in you to visit this place. His introduction, in fact, was so beautiful that I just wanted to listen to it like again and again because there were just so many great lines. And I'm going to read just a little passage of it. And I'm not going to say it in a low southern drawl like he would. Well, depending on who's listening to this, they might say you already are. The joys of this Southern life, we polish like old silver. We are good at stories. We hoard them like an old woman in a room full of boxes. Now and then we pull out our best and spread them out like dinner on the ground. We cherish the past. We buff our beloved ancestors until they are smooth of sin and give our scoundrels a hard shake, although sometimes we cannot remember exactly which is who. I just love all that imagery and the metaphors and the similes he uses that I love that kind of writing all the essays are fairly short so this is a great book to listen to in the car driving around town you don't feel like it's a big deal if you have to stop and start it like most essays might be four or five minutes long it would also be a great book to listen to if you were headed to the deep south most of the essays are about places in Louisiana Alabama Florida. So if you're heading to that part of the country and you want to read a little something to get you in the mood, this would be a good book for that. Mm-hmm. Well, so. Amy, I did want to tell you, you had mentioned March. Yeah. You had talked about yeah. that. So I started it and I love it. Oh, good. Yay. It's really good. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, I was thinking because you had said that you kind of need to have read Little Women. And I do agree with that, but I'm not too far into it, but I love it already. And I think it tells such a, a sad and paints such a picture of the American Civil War that I think there's a lot of value in it just on that level. So I wanted to say thank you for the recommendation. Oh, good. Well, I'm and glad also that you need you're to renew it. it. So Amy <laughs> reserved it, but so you need to okay, renew it again. Okay, I'll do that thank as you. soon as we're done recording. <laughs> I actually found a graphic novel, um, a modern telling of Little Women. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I'm, I can't think of the author's names now, but... Um, yeah, it's definitely a modern telling of the story, <laughs> but it's very good. My oldest read it and we both enjoyed it. It was very good. Oh, no, I might have to add that because, I, well, I'm almost to the end of my little women. You're you going to be saturated. Right? Yeah. You can fit in a graphic novel. It's yeah, maybe, quick, right? Yeah. It is, yeah. You might save it until maybe, you know, after the Oscars or something. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Hopefully, maybe Sir she'll win the. I hope so. I loved her, Joe. Yeah. All right, well, when we come back, we are going to ask Neve her top five. We're back with Neve Lutz, and we are going to be asking her her top five. Neve, what is your top Irish food to make that reminds you of home? Brown bread. 
Brown bread. Yeah. I love bread. Bread and butter. <laughs> Who doesn't love bread and butter, right? My granny and my mom are bakers. My aunts are bakers. They would make stuff all the time like our house was always smelled delicious but I love bread and so I love making brown bread and it's so easy to do and my oldest Orla can make brown bread we can all you know it's simple I love brown bread too when I was over there and I have a recipe that I do make every St. Patrick's Day a brown bread recipe but what I remember is that when I went to Ireland there was something that I had there that was called chocolate biscuit cake at a little coffee shop and it was so delicious and when I got back I asked Neve about it and you sent me a recipe and I have made that several times it is so so good and rich and delicious and when we were there my son my middle son who is now in culinary school he ate fish and chips Every single day, the whole time we were there, we found fish and chips somewhere, everywhere we went. To satisfy him. Yeah, to satisfy him. So what is the top thing that you have to do or place to visit each time you cross the pond back to Ireland? I have to go home, obviously, go home to Doro. And my hometown is, well, now it's so idyllic, right? When you're growing up there, it's just where you live. But now when you go home, you, you just love it so much more. Um, Doro is a very small little village and, and it's picturesque and there are great walks around Doro. I love going to the local pub, Bob's Bar, and go up to the Castle Doro and walk around the grounds and things like that. You have to go walk up the Ballock so you can see all the views from a great height. All of that stuff. I, lo- I love to do that. Go home, obviously. And then go into Kilkenny, which is a Norman town, like built by the Normans. And it is. It was lovely. Isn't it? Mm-hmm. It was lovely. Yeah. And there's great restaurants and food and bars and music. And it's lots of fun. And that reminds me of being a kid on a Saturday. You know, like here we go to the mall or whatever, like at home in Ireland. My mom would take us into Kilkenny and she'd take us into Crotty's and we would have a cup of tea with an eclair and then we'd go into the shops and we'd buy, you know, or just look. I loved all that stuff. Then one of the things that I thought when we were in Ireland and we were, it was a family trip. We were with our kids and we started in Dublin and we were there nine or ten days and we drove across the country and ended up flying out of Shannon. But I think as someone who's grown up in the United States, you're not really used to really old things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> driving across Ireland, I mean, you could barely go two or three miles without running into a castle. Now, it might be a dilapidated castle, sure. like only part there. But I mean, they were everywhere. And that is just something that is so foreign, really, to someone who grows up in the United States. And the old, oldest thing that you see, you have to go to Boston and it's, you know, a couple hundred years old. Yeah, like we've got the Neolithic tomb, right? At Newgrange, which is, they say, is older than the pyramids. So Yeah, we visited that. Yeah, yeah. like that's pretty neat. Uh, yeah, there's plenty to see. I love when friends tell me they're going and they say, okay, Neve, where should we go? What should we do? I love to help people out and say, you have to go here, you have to go there. So, What is the top misconception you had of the United States before you moved here? And then what is the top thing about the U.S. that pleasantly surprised you? I am generally a positive person, so I try not to, you know, have misconceptions. <laughs> I thought this and this that there was going to be actually bluegrass in Kentucky. <laughs> <laughs> like, that was what I was expecting, you know. So everywhere I went, I'd try and... Th- like, is it, is it blue? 
<laughs> you know, I thought, it is, is it? You know, so how, is it how they look at it? <laughs> you know, so that was it. But Louisville is such a great city. I have found nothing but kindness and welcoming from everybody that I have met here. Generous people, so kind. Like, I have nothing but good things to say about Louisville. I love it. And I love America. I love going to Boston. Oh, my gosh, it's probably one of my favorite cities. Love Chicago. We went to Orlando a couple of years ago, and I love Disney. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, like, things you think... Are people really living in fancy lofts in New York? Like, because you watch Friends. Like, I was addicted to Friends. I watched Dawson's Creek and I thought everybody was out on a boat outside their house. Um, you know, I watched Beverly Hills 90210. Like, you know, Brandon is going to show up at my door with a nice car. Um, you know, that stuff. I was sure I was going to marry a new kid on the block. Positive that that was going to happen. <laughs> But I, I didn't marry a new kid on the block. I married Jeremy and he's a great musician and a singer. So, you know, it all equals out. It all equals out. It was all good. It was all good. What is the top difference between the way St. Patrick's Day is celebrated here versus Ireland that would surprise people? We don't drink green beer. Don't ask for it. It is an insult. You shouldn't do that. Really? No, gotcha. No, no, no. Now, it has evolved like there's always been the big parade in Dublin and then the bigger cities would have had parades as well. And that would have been on TV and broadcasted. But we didn't do at home like a big celebration on St. Patrick's. You get up, you go to mass, you'd put on shamrock, the symbol of St. Patrick. So there was that aspect of it that I believe and I stand to be corrected that the first actual parade was held in Chicago. Mm, um, I think that might be right. Yeah, like it was people who proud to be Irish and showing their green because you know a lot of Irish people when they came here first were not respected mm-hmm. right they were put down a lot and so like well we're going to show you we're going to show how, how awesome we are and but they were very proud of it and that kind of then made its way back across to Ireland and I would say now today more villages and towns participate in parade my hometown as well like which is tiny has a very proud of their parade so I think that would surprise people that we don't have parties. Mm. Now, that's not to say we don't go out and have a few drinks. But <laughs> it is Ireland. It is Ireland. Well, I was going to say that could be because it, it's Tuesday. It was, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, you know, and it's a bank holiday. So it's kind of like a 4th of July, mm. but it has evolved. It has changed. It has become more celebratory for sure over the years. And I'd say that is because prosperity has brought about that as mm. well. When you don't have money, you don't really celebrate. But like definitely late 90s, early 2000s, you know, before everything collapsed in 2007, right? And now there's a, a rebuild and people are, yeah, they're they're celebrating life again and being proud to be Irish. And we love to celebrate Irish. <laughs> we'll claim anybody, you know. <laughs> so I have to tell the story about when I was in Ireland. So I was 19, which you could drink over there, yeah. you know. I couldn't drink here, well, you know, without a fake ID. And so, of course, we had to, drink Guinness because you know that was the the Mm -hmm. Irish beer well it could have been because I was 19 it could have been because I was 19 and didn't really drink before and I was drinking too much it could have been because I was 19 drinking too much and didn't have any parental supervision but anyway (laughs) 
I seem to get into a lot of fights. What? Well, I mean, not like knockdown, drag out, fist fights, but argumentative. And so in my head, I was like, well, it has to be the Guinness. Even though it was probably I was 19, didn't have parents around in a situation where I was with people I didn't know traveling. But ever since then, I've always been a little bit scared to drink Guinness. Because you're afraid you're going to get into a fight with somebody? I'm afraid I'm going to get into a fight. So... There's my, there's my. Brings out your fighting Irish, right? I guess so. I guess so. So I'm a fighter. Somebody's, yeah. I I have a feeling I'll be getting some Guinness from people after this. Like, here, drink it. Let's Let's see what happens. See what happens. So you teach music as a profession. Yes. What has been your top recent musical experience? Whether that be a concert, musical theater, whatever. So last year was definitely the year for music because... Um, my husband Jeremy and I got tickets to the Louisville Orchestra. We did season tickets, and that was wonderful. Really enjoyed it. Teddy Abrams is a genius. Louisville is like on the cutting edge of writing and listening to and accepting new music. It is so cool. So there's that. But we got tickets to Hamilton. <laughs> and oh my God, it was just so brilliant and wonderful. And like, and I had listened to that soundtrack for three years before I went. So I knew it. So like, me sitting in the audience trying not to sing along. <laughs> that was really difficult. But I cried like a baby. Uh, it was just so awesome. And like Lin-Manuel Miranda is a genius. Mm-hmm. There is no two ways about it. He's just so good. I listen to The Heights now too. His other musical, which is going to be a movie in the summer. We were gifted tickets to Dear Evan Hansen. Oh my, and that was brilliant. So you like musical theater? Oh my gosh, do I ever. Like I would <laughs> live in an understatement. If I, my life could be a Glee episode, like I could just burst into song. Like it would just be <laughs> wonderful. But I got to see Celine Dion and she is. This there. was all last year? This is all in one year. Like wow. it was seriously. Now this year I'm doing nothing. <laughs> I'm like I'm stepping back and I'm just chilling and waiting to saturate myself again in something else. But seeing her, the woman is so phenomenal and I'm a singer and when you listen to somebody sing that well and not to be ageist but 51 and singing that brilliantly and moving the way she does I was in awe it was very good it was so (laughs) very brilliant like I had dreams like I'm going to sing back up for Celine like you know that was you know uh, Celine Eve so, so, so you teach music, but vocals are really oh, that's the thing, thing that yeah. you love. Yeah, I love to sing. Yeah, because you used to sing with the. Do you still with the choral society? I did. It's like you know, you're a mom now with two kids. You're moving here, there, you know, hither, yonder. You don't get to do the stuff that you once got to do. And I know that that time will come again. Mm. And hopefully I can still sing. Like I get to sing every day. My poor kids in school, they're a trapped audience. They can't <laughs> escape me. Like, you know, I've been driving to school and hear a song on the radio and I go, that's what I'm going to do today. And I'll bore everybody to tears with my rendition of whatever. You know, poor kids. Like. <laughs> well, Neve, thank you so much for being on The Perks. We have had such a good time with our Irish representative. Yay. <laughs> That means thanks very much. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks for joining us today. For show notes for any episode, please go to our blog site at www.perksofbeingabooklover.com. Follow us on Facebook at Perks of Being a Book Lover and on Instagram at Perks of Being a Book Lover Pod 
to see what we're up to and when new episodes air. If you enjoy our show, spread the word and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That helps other listeners find us. Finally, a huge thank you to Forward Radio 106.5 FM, a grassroots, community-based radio station in Louisville, Kentucky. You can find our show there, live or in archives, at forwardradio.org, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts.